0: If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Joshua 14, and why don't you stand, and we'll read together God's Word. Joshua 14 is where we'll be this morning. We've been going through the book of Joshua now for several months. We've seen all that God has done using a man named Joshua, leading God's people over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Jericho, and then cities after that started to fall. Now we've gotten to the point where most of the land has been conquered, most of it. Joshua 14 starts the allotment, that is the giving to the tribes of God's people, giving the land to them. But in the middle of the narration, the writer of Joshua stops us to take a look at a man we've forgotten about, a man named Caleb. We pick up the story in Joshua 14, starting in verse 6, we'll read down to verse 15. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right here. Verse 6, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as He said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will strengthen your people. God, I pray that you would draw us close. Pray for all of those that have felt the distance between you and them, that today you will make that up. God, I ask you to remove anxiety and bring peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe seated. Almost everybody heard, almost everybody has heard of Moses. I mean, you don't even have to go to church They have heard about Moses. If you're over 60 years old, you know Charleston Heston was Moses in the Ten Commandments. You don't even have to be a believer to know something about Moses, the the great liberator of his faith, of his people, the man that stood at the Red Sea and it opened up and the Israelites walked on dry ground. Moses, the man who went up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, we still have the Ten Commandments with us. Everybody knows about Moses. Moses. Moses, who was in the presence of God to the degree that he was so close to the glory of God that his face glowed, so disturbing to his friends that they asked him to put a veil on his face. And what kind of friends tell you to cover your face? Moses. Moses, who was responsible for the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, we know about Moses. By anybody's account, Moses is a great man. Standing in the shadow of Moses is a man named Joshua. All of those years as Moses provided leadership and was close to God, Joshua stood in the shadow and Joshua was called the servant of Moses. Moses dies and Joshua becomes a great leader in his own account. Joshua, this wonderful soldier with terrific capacity, leading God's people into the promised land, a a tremendous warrior and leader, great man of God. By anybody's account, Joshua was a great man. If Joshua stood in the if Joshua stood in the shadow of Moses, we've come up on a story of a man that's standing in the shadow of Joshua. A man that had the same level of courage, had the same level of commitment, was stood there with Joshua. And for 45 years, think of it now, Caleb, for 45 years, Caleb has been behind the scenes. And now in chapter 14, the narrator, the the writer of Joshua, in the midst of talking about the allotment of the land, he stopped and brought a spotlight down on this man, Caleb. Caleb is best known, if you know anything about Caleb, Caleb is best known for uh, chapter 14, verse 10 and 11 and 12. That's That's when Caleb says, I'm 85 years old today still as strong as I, won, as I was when I was 40. Now, we love that. I want to know what, what was Caleb taking? Some sort of Mega Man or Centrum Silver. What's he taking? Gorilla hormone. What is he taking to making him so strong? Caleb, we, we know him when he says, I'm 85 years old today. I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40. Give me this mountain. And certainly that's admirable, and certainly that's inspirational. But there's got to be more to it than that. I want to know what's behind a man like that. What makes a person talk like that? I mean, it's got to be more than just bravado and chest thumping. There must be something else going on, and the more I looked at Caleb, the more I saw a phrase that started showing up. You can look at it even now if you'd like in Joshua 14, verse 8. There it is, he wholly followed the Lord his God. Verse 9, he wholly followed the Lord his God. Verse 14, he wholly followed the Lord his God. Numbers. 13, he wholly followed the Lord his God. Numbers 34, he wholly followed the Lord his God. Deuteronomy 1, do you know that three times in this passage and five times in the Bible, it is said of Caleb, he wholly followed, yours might say, he fully followed the Lord his God. Don't you? Don't you want to be a person that wholly follows the Lord? That regardless of whatever else might be said about you, it can be said of you that you wholly followed the Lord? I mean, let's be honest the church doesn't need any more halfway Christians with part time faith living mediocre lives. It don't need that anymore. It's a good thing to watch cultural Christianity die. It's a good thing because it's so hard to tell the difference between cultural Christianity and those that are convictionally Christian. It, we, we're seeing it a die, slow death. I think COVID probably will take it right over the edge. And more and more, God is calling the people of His church to live a life that wholly follow Him. I, I think this passage, honestly... I THINK THIS PASSAGE GOES A LONG WAY OF SHOWING US HOW, HOW A FULL-TIME GOD CALLS FOR FULL-TIME FAITH. A FULL-TIME GOD CALLING FOR A FULL-TIME FAITH. HERE'S WHAT I WANT TO DO TODAY. I WANT TO TAKE CALEB AND JUST STAND HIM UP AND just, JUST LOOK, WHAT DOES THE BIBLE SAY ABOUT HIM? WE'RE TOLD THAT THE SCRIPTURE IS GIVEN FOR OUR INSTRUCTION. SO, LET'S SEE, WHAT CAN WE LEARN about wholly following God by looking at Caleb's life. Here's the first thing. I want you to see, number one, I want you to see the value of fellowship. I want you to see the value of being together. When I say fellowship, I don't mean getting together and eating, although that is a good thing. There is some value in that. When I say fellowship, what I mean is the genuine bond between brothers and sisters in Christ that we have at the cross, let me um, take you to the context, and I'll make the application. Go with me there to verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> Here in the chapter, the majority of the land has been conquered, and the next seven or eight chapters will cover the allotment. We'll jump over it pretty quickly in the next few weeks as God doles out the land to his people. And then in verse 6 and 7 and 8, an old friend of Joshua shows up. An old friend and a fellow soldier steps forward and listen to what he says right there in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back to him word again as it was in my heart. So this passage right here takes us all the way back 40 years. Caleb is saying, Joshua, I know you remember. Go back with me in your mind 40 years ago, 45, and we stood in front of Moses. You remember how he went to spy out the land? It was me and you and those 10 other guys. And we saw the potential, we saw how good it could be. Go read the story in Numbers 13. We saw how good it could be, and we came back, and we were excited about that, but the 10 others, they said it was terrible, and they convinced the people, and there was almost mutiny. And it was me and you standing there together alone. And in verse 6, it's as if Caleb is saying, Joshua, you of all people, you know what we've been through together. It's a brotherhood that's forged by fire and baptized in faith and and centered on trusting God. Now, I'd like to pause and think about that friendship, Caleb and Joshua. And just, if you'll let it be an embryonic form, I want to just say what you have there is a microcosm. Have a little small picture of what it actually means to be the church. You know, here at Hickory Grove, we are very concerned about doctrine. We seek to preach biblical doctrine and teach that to the best of our ability. We we have, uh, for instance, our doctrine of salvation. The gospel, we believe, is that God is holy and man is a sinner separated from God. That sin is not just separation. It It is calling for condemnation and judgment. That the sinners outside of Jesus live under the condemnation of God. That the gospel hope is that God is also not just a judge, but also loves His people. And it gives us Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, lived a life of perfection, fulfilling all of God's law in a way that we can. And the reason for the cross is it's there at the cross where Jesus takes all the sin of every sinner that will ever be saved, He takes the punishment as a substitute, dying on the cross. God raised him from the dead, and and the promise of the gospel is, and and if you're not saved, this is how you are saved. The promise of the gospel is you turn from your sin and believe that. You look to what God has done for you on the cross of Jesus. That, That is salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That is our doctrine of salvation That is a picture of grace, and and the grace that saves us is the same grace that makes us one in Christ. It is what binds us together. It's why we can come together from all walks of life with nothing in common, barely maybe even speaking the same language, and yet we're bound together by the grace of God found In Jesus what a great gift it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ what a wonderful thing to have I just speak personally to have brothers and sisters in Christ that I can rely on that I can trust that support you that pray for you that that love you enough to correct you if you're wrong a brother or sister in Jesus that rejoices when something really good happens in your life and then is concerned, is something bad is going on? Someone that's seeking only good, hoping for you to flourish, looking for that flourishing. It's a a great thing. It's a great value, Christian friendship. Now, now just in embryonic form, in 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 the Old Testament, there is Caleb saying to Joshua, it was me and you. We stood there. Brothers and sisters, we don't live our lives as isolationists. We don't live on islands. We live congregationally. We live in community. We live pressing for unity. One of the great things of the gospel is it unifies us. That is what unifies us. So we press for unity and, and not for division. If you press for division, well, Paul has something to say about that. We live our lives unified around the gospel of Jesus and we do so for the glory of God seeing the value of fellowship. I think Caleb saw the value of fellowship. I think there's something else you can see there about Caleb's life. Number two, we need to develop the courage of our convictions. Developing the courage of our convictions. Listen to what Caleb says. Uh, Listen to the Listen to the great courage of his convictions, which, um, which is interesting because we haven't heard. I mean, the last time we heard from Caleb was 45 years ago in numbers. He hadn't said a word. And now listen to how he recounts the story in verses 7, 8, and 9. That's what Caleb says. I was 40 years old. Isn't it good to feel like that 40 is young? feels good to me because at least I can see where I was once young. I was 40 years old, what he says in verse 7. 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, I brought him word again as it was in my heart. I did what I was supposed to do. Verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I, by contrast, wholly followed the Lord my God. What does he say in here? Caleb is saying, Joshua, you remember when it was me and you, I was willing to stand alone. Everybody else that went with us and came back and poisoned the well, I stood there in verse 7, I said what was on my heart. Verse 8, I did it because I trusted wholly, because I followed what I thought would be honoring to God. In fact, because of my obedience, I, I didn't have a choice but to give a good report. My obligation was to trust God and to honor Him regardless of the consequences. If if you remember the story in in Numbers 13 and 14, Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two that gave a good report when they came back from the promised land. The other 10 gave a bad report, and then all of the people of Israel, they believed the other 10, there was a mutiny. I mean, Joshua and Caleb were ripping their clothes. Moses almost le- loses the leadership, and God judges them, and that's why they end up 40 years in the wilderness because the people wouldn't go with Joshua and Caleb. And do you, does it, it's interesting to you, that Joshua and Caleb had did the right thing, believed the right thing, and yet they had to actually suffer with the people that had done so wrong. They had to wander around like everybody else. You know, it's costly. <clears throat> Some of you are feeling this today. It's costly to be a convictional Christian. It used to not be so costly in the 70s and 80s, uh, for a while in the United States, you had a little bit of the, had this swing, the moral majority, and you had the religious right, or then you had the silent majority, and there was, there was some benefit. There was some social benefit to actually being a Christian and living as a Christian. You, you were maybe held with some respect. That, that day is gone. More and more, we'll feel it as Christians. Especially, let's just, um, let's <clears> just, <throat> I'll just pick something out of the headlines. Let's take, for instance, the world of gender politics. As biblical Christians, convictional Christians, we believe that God, according to Genesis, God created us in his image. He created man in his image and woman in his image. He created us in his image as man and woman, and man and woman are good that the goodness of God is actually displayed in the womanhood and in manhood, that God has created us heterosexuals, that the flourishing of God's good creation is, is shown through manhood and womanhood, that as God's creation as a man or a woman, as a Christian, we believe that's how God created us, and that honestly doesn't sound like a really radical thing to say. But if you believe that, you're standing almost alone. And, and more and more, it's just, going to take, it's just going to take convictional, biblical courage to humbly but boldly stand there. Now, I'm not asking you just to to grit your teeth or endure. I think strength is put into us. I think there's several ways God puts strength into us. I think one of the ways, we're doing it right now, one of the ways that God strengthens our souls is when we gather together and worship. When we pray together, when we lift up the name of Jesus, when we sing songs and hymns uh, and psalms and we praise God together, When we open the Bible and hear the Word of God read and then taught, I think God strengthens us in worship. I think God strengthens us when we have good accountability. It's why we do more than just gather here. It's why we press further to make sure we are in one another's lives so that we can pray together, care for one another, correct each other, disciple one another, I think the Bible teaches that uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. I think that what's going to make you strong is more and more Bible intake. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. How you're going to grow strong and courageous and be able to stand there is having the Word of God inside of you. I think when you are obeying what God is calling you to do, there is a confidence-building factor to you being obedient. I, I think that I think when you spend more time on your own sin instead of everybody else's, you understand the grace of God. It strengthened your heart to, to flourish in forgiveness, to go to the cross of Jesus, to, to, to heighten your view of God's grace. And what we see in Caleb here is the value of, of fellowship and also the courage of conviction. I'll give you a third thing, and I'll make it quick. Number three... You need to anchor. You need to anchor yourself in the Word. Go back with me to verse 6 and uh, look again at what Caleb says. Look what he says. He bases his petition. So he's asking Joshua for the mountain. Give me this mountain. But look what he bases it on in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said. Okay, just run your finger down the page. Verse 6, you know what the Lord said to Moses. Verse 10, the Lord kept me alive just as he said. Verse 10, since that time, the Lord spoke the word to Moses. Come down to verse 12. Two times, Caleb says, the Lord promised, the Lord promised. You know what here, five times, Caleb hammers the point, God said, Here here is a dependence on God's Word. I, I don't want to stay here long except to say that the number one thing, the number one factor in your own personal growth and strength as a Christian will be your knowledge of and dependence on God's Word. The number one resource for your soul, the number one healing for your heart, the number one strengthening for your faith, the number one equipping for your life, the number one thing that is going to make you convicted of your own sin is the Bible and a steady intake of the Bible. And I'll just ask the question, what changes, what changes do you need to make to anchor your life in the Bible? And if you actually do believe the Bible and love it, why would you not spend more time having God speak to your soul through the Bible? We need a, a, an intake of the Bible. But let me show you something else here about Caleb. You'll notice about him. He teaches us that we ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful for God's provision. Notice what he says in verse 10 it doesn't take credit. Join me there in verse 10 and listen to Caleb's speech and how he gives all the credit to God. See it in verse 10? And now, behold, it is the Lord. wasn't because I was taking vitamins and working out. It is the Lord that kept me alive. Just like he said, 45 years. Here is God's, here is Caleb saying, it is God. This is gratefulness. This is a heart of of thankfulness. You know, if you develop a heart of thankfulness, you know what it's going to do for you? I'll give you a couple of things. If you can start being thankful to God, it's going to make you more and more humble because you realize that He is the source of all good things in your life. And you realize that you've been given nothing except that which God gave you. It makes you humble. If you become thankful, it, makes you, um, it gives you a different perspective. You understand that God is God and you are not. It puts you in perspective that He is the great, is the great sovereign Lord that gives. If you're thankful, it's going to change. When you become a thankful person, it will change your attitude. And let's be honest. Some people could use an attitude adjustment. A good way to adjust it is becoming thankful. You start thanking God for all He's done in your life. If you thank God, you know what it's going to do? It's going to remove bitterness from your life. Bitterness comes when you think about why didn't you get that? If you start thanking God for all the things He's given you, you start realizing there's so many ways God has blessed me. If you will thank God, it develops a reliance in your heart on the goodness and the sovereignty of God. If you thank God, it fights pride. Proud people don't Get thankful? If you're thankful, you're saying to God, it is you who are in control and the giver of all good gifts. If you're thankful, it's going to push you. If you start getting thankful, it's going to push you to pray. You know why? Because you thank God for something, you see that God gave it. And if he gave that, he might give something else. And you're asking God to do and move. If you, if you become thankful, you recognize your own dependence on God. If you are thankful... The more thankful you are, it elevates our doctrine of grace. What a wonderful... I mean, ours is a religion of grace and not works. Works follow grace. Grace pushes works. And grace is how we are saved through faith in Jesus. If you're thankful, it elevates... If you're thankful, it glorifies God. What if... It's worth that. Thank the Lord for that. What, what if... What if God removed everything that you didn't thank Him for? That right there is enough to be thankful to God. He hadn't done that. What do we see in Caleb here? What do we see about him? I want you to notice something else about his uh, full-time faith. Look with me in verse 10 and see that you and I need to grow deep. We need to grow deep in patience. I mean, isn't this the hardest thing to develop? Maybe the hardest thing to develop, and I think probably the most impressive attribute of Caleb is his patience. Look at it with me in verse 10. Now behold, the Lord, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. 45 years. Caleb waited on God's promise. Moses died. Every person, every one of the original people that came out of Egypt, are they're all dead. And these two guys, all that are left are Joshua and Caleb. And as far as we know, this is the very first time he's spoken. How did did the Apostle Paul say this? Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces Endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. You see what he's doing? God is refining, he's, he's shaping, he's molding, he's, he's strengthening you. What else do we see about Caleb? I'll give you a um, six and a seventh, I'll make it quick. Number six we need to develop a clear and unremitting purpose. A clear, what is your purpose in life? Well, Caleb had one purpose, verses 10 and 11. This is the section that we love so much, Um, especially as you age, you love to read this. As you age, you'll love it more. I'm, I'm 85 and used to be 40, that's when I was strong. But at the core of this is not health and vigor, At the core of this is an unremitting desire to honor God with what He's promised me. This is what He says, verse 10 and 11. The Lord has kept me alive, just as He said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke His word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is, as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me, and we like to translate it, give me this mountain, but a better translation, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on the day how the Anakim were there, the great fortified cities, and it might be that God will be with me. What is he saying here? This is not about health and vigor. This is a desire to fulfill what God has given me to do. This is a desire, and some of you have this desire, to honor God with all the years that you have remaining on earth. To live your life in a way that adorns the gospel, to live your life that, that flourishes in worship, to live your life to build the church, to fulfill the mission to love your family to the glory of God, to to rejoice, to rejoice in the truth, to hunger for Christ, to lift high the name of Jesus. I think of this every time I see a man in 70s and 80s who is still seeking and humbly honoring the Lord, building the church. One last thing you find there, that is Caleb joyfully trusting the Lord. I touched on it in verse 11 and 12. There in verse 12, Caleb says, Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard how on that day the Anakim were there and the great fortified cities, and it may be. Look, do you feel the hopefulness? It may be that the Lord will be with me and I'll drive them out just like the Lord said. CALEB'S REQUEST BRINGS WITH IT THIS GOD-CENTERED OPTIMISM, THIS this RELIANCE, THIS TRUST THAT GOD IS GOING TO PROVIDE. I THINK ONE OF THE PRIVILEGES OF GROWING OLD, ONE OF THE PRIVILEGES of, OF AGE IS NOT PANICKING. ONE OF THE GREAT THINGS ABOUT GETTING OLDER IS YOU DON'T panic WHEN SOMETHING HAPPENS BECAUSE YOU HAVE PROVIDENCE BEHIND YOU, YOU'VE SEEN HOW GOD has worked in the past, and you have sovereignty in front of you, you trust how God is going to work in the future. Trusting God the a lifetime. You trust God, you walk through a lifetime of of pain and endurance and good things and bad things, and you see how God does, Romans 8, how how God works those things out for good of those that love Him. A full-time It takes a full-time faith and a full-time God. And really, that's how I want to close today. With a call for you to trust Him. So as we bring it to a close, I'm going to ask you just to pray with me for a moment. Just where you are. Your head's bowed. Join me. I want you to trust Him. Have you trusted God by putting your faith in Jesus? You can't know God unless you've come to trust Him by believing Jesus. This morning I'm asking you to trust Him, to trust God by believing in Jesus. For those of you that are already Christians, I'd like to just speak to you here at Hickory Grove. Would you start now trusting Him with the child? Will you trust him with your son or daughter? Or will you trust him even though you can't naturally have children? Or will you trust him as you deal with aging parents and how to best honor them? One of the most difficult things to do. Will you trust him in this job? in your marriage, you look over, will you trust him in the future? Will you trust him for the future? Maybe yours is suffering. Will you trust him in your suffering? When we sing this morning, I'm just going to invite you if you'd like to come and have someone pray with you, or if you just want somebody to pray for you. Just come forward here. Our pastors are here. We'd love just to pray for you or with you or talk to you about trusting God through faith in Jesus. When we, when we sing this morning, we'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for your grace that saves, for your spirit that moves. I pray you give us trust even now. In Jesus' name, amen.